slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know that it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel among you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of the Lord, as is Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out my, your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So Paul is writing a letter a little different from the tone of what he normally writes. He's writing to the Galatians, and in this letter... It's not necessarily just encouragement. In this letter, he's writing them to rebuke them, to correct them. They had wandered from the faith, <clears throat> from what he had spoken. And so he is trying to correct them and trying to get them back on the path of righteousness. But to do that, he had to be somewhat blunt. And sometimes we have to do that. He had to let them know who he was, that he was an apostle of Christ. He had let them know what he had taught previously. He also had to let them know that the ones that had come among them were teaching the fact that they had to go back to Judaism in order to be a servant of Christ. And here's where he corrects them and tells them no. As a matter of fact, we'll look in the lesson. He gets in pretty good detail on this. So the Apostle Paul wrote this letter about... A.D. 48 is the best that we can tell. He had finished his first missionary journey and had returned. The Galatians are probably believers in the churches of the southern region of the Roman province of Galatia. Um, and Tim, hey Tim, can you look on the share drive? and bring up the presentation that's on there for me, please, sir. So we want to look at this a little bit. Paul is more critical of his audience here than in any of the other letters. He had gone through this area previously, we just discussed on the missionary journey. He had gone to places like Iconium and Antioch and Lystra that we read about, and he had taught the gospel. And he had let them know, and a lot of them had been converted, and a lot of them were faithful. And they were doing well until these other men came through and began to teach religious error. So we talked before about when we study who is writing. Well, we know in this case Paul is writing. Okay. So who is he writing to? Well, he's writing to the Galatians. All right. Who were the Galatians? Okay, as we can see on the map here, let's see. All right, in this area, right here is what we're talking about. What is modern-day Greece 
is the area we're discussing. And you can see here, Galatia really originally had run from one ocean to the other. And then as time went on, the Roman Empire reorganized things, made different states, and so as you see it now, it's a little bit limited compared to what it was originally. But you can see Lystra and Iconium, you can see Antioch all in that area. And the letter doesn't tell us specifically who he wrote to. But the general belief is that he wrote to the churches in this area. These are the ones that he was talking to. These are the ones that had left the faith. Um, there's a different theory about him writing to other churches a little further north, but there's not a lot of detail to back that up. So the general consensus is these are the ones that he's writing to. So as we ask, who were these Galatians? Who were these people that Paul was writing to? Well, Galatia was a Roman province during the time that Paul's letter was written, and its culture and society were, like most areas of the Roman Empire, very complex. As we read about the Roman Empire in history, we see as they worked and expanded their empire that they brought in a lot of different people, a lot of different cultures, and they began to blend those together. And so you get a very complex society. The province was named for the Gauls who invaded Macedonia in the third century BC and then migrated and settled in this land afterwards. The character of the inhabitants of Galatia probably points to the historical Gauls who were known, who were known and respected and feared by the Romans. And ultimately, these were the ones that sacked the city of Rome and brought down the Roman Empire. They were nomadic, they were superstitious, and they were very warlike people who were known to use among not only their sheer physical strength they were known for, but also supposedly they tried to use sorcery, magic, things of that nature on their enemies. And we know those things aren't true, but at that time, those things were accepted. They were believed. Numerous ancient writings depict them as pale-skinned with red hair and wild eyes. They were extremely muscular and strong. They raided. They were greedy for material wealth. They were ferocious and they were unruly in battle. Regardless of such descriptions, the Galatians appear to have been relatively important people in the ancient Mediterranean at the time of this writing. So these were very warlike people, very ruthless people. That was their history. That's what they came out of. These were the men that most governments went to when they wanted to hire mercenaries. If you had a job that you wanted done, but you didn't really want the results of that job associated with your kingdom, these were the people you hired. So this is the people that Paul is writing to. This is the people that Paul had been to and taught. This is the people that Paul had converted. So we see in their history, they weren't necessarily <clears throat> a people of integrity and loyalty in their past history. They wavered from kingdom to kingdom, basically whoever was paying them the most. And so they had an issue with this. They had a problem with this. It was in their culture. So at this point, Paul had converted them, but now they're wavering again. So the letter is written because of false teachers that had come in to convince the Galatians that they were required to follow parts of the old law, the Mosaic law, in combination with the law of Christ. Now we look at it today and we think, well, that's very strange. You know, why would you do that? But at that time, 
You know, to remember, they were new babes in Christ. They hadn't been Christians all that long. And people came in and convinced them of this. This is not something that they did on their own. Yeah, this brings up an interesting point. Is is we see as Paul moved through uh, a lot of the places, there are num numerous Jewish people there, there are synagogues that he went and taught in and stuff like that. And so you had members of the Jewish faith that would cling to that old law, and so they would try to stop Paul's teaching any way they could. But we get a little further down in history now, we're at a, at a point where these people now are following Paul to the Gentile nations to try to undo the work that he's doing. So, um, the result of this was there's a division in the church and a falling away from Christ. When we look at chapter 5 and verse 4, Paul says, Are you severed from Christ? I'm sorry, you are severed from Christ, you who are justified by the law, have fallen away from grace. So here's where he gets very detailed and very blunt. You have left the faith. You have gone back to the old law, to the Mosaic law, and in doing that, you have forsaken the law of Christ. Now he's very specific when we look at this verse. He says, you have fallen away. Okay, so this directly contradicts the concept of once saved, always saved. These people were converted by Paul. He states the fact that they were Christians at one time. And now they've fallen away. So if the doctrine of once saved, always saved is true, then there could be no way that they had fallen from the faith. But here we have a direct apostle of Christ who says, you have fallen from the faith. Paul was afraid that he labored with them in vain. He explained to them that returning to the old law prevents them from obeying the gospel. When we look at chapter 5 and verse 7, just a few verses below, it says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So what was the hindrance? What was the problem that Paul was addressing here? Well, the problem Paul was addressing was bringing in things from the old law. These people weren't trying to bring in the entire Mosaic law. They weren't telling the people they had to offer sacrifices and all the other things that were involved in the Mosaic law. They were bringing in the concept of circumcision. They were bringing in one thing from the Mosaic law. And Paul was direct with them and said, this hinders you. This keeps you from following the law of Christ. By bringing in things from the Mosaic law, which the law of Christ replaced, this hinders you from being, doing, from being able to do what Christ said. Even though Paul specifically states that the old law is a hindrance to those who are wishing to follow Christ, many in the religious world still try to hang on to it today. We still see that today. The false Jewish teachers told the Galatians that, they, <clears throat> that to live by grace and not under the law was to live a lawless and wicked life. But Paul made it clear that justification through grace did not mean a sinful life. Becoming a Christian actually freed them from bondage of sin under the old law and gave them an opportunity of a new life with Christ. 
So now we get to the point of some of the rebuke that Paul talks about. Most of the New Testament was written to instruct, to rebuke, and to encourage Christians rather to instruct alien sinners. <clears throat> when we read the New Testament, what does the New Testament, Testament teach us? What is the purpose of the New Testament? Salvation through Christ, right? The purpose of the New Testament is to tell us what we have to do in order to be saved. Obedience to Christ. Now, the New Testament does not talk a great deal about alien sinners. Because that wasn't the purpose of the writing of the New Testament. The purpose of the writing of the New Testament was to tell us how to get into Christ. That would apply to alien sinners. That would apply to those who have never believed. But then after we are into Christ... It tells us how we should live, how we should treat others, how we should react to things, the things that we can do, the things that we can't do. The bulk of the New Testament is written to you and I. It's to tell us how to live our daily lives. It's to tell us how we interact with one another. Tell us how we interact with those who do not believe in Christ. Tell us how to spread the word and how to teach. That's the purpose of the New Testament. It's similar to what we talked about in lessons previously. The Bible contains a great deal of historical data which has never, ever been proven wrong. But it is not a history book. It wasn't intended to be a history book. It contains a lot of scientific data which is always 100% accurate. But it's not a science book. That's not its purpose. The purpose is to tell us how to become and how to live as Christians. Most of the New Testament we talked was written for that, and we see examples of that when Peter rebuked Simon in Acts 8. Then again, Paul rebuked Peter in Galatians 2. John rebuked Diotrephes in 3 John. And then Paul instructed Timothy to rebuke sin before all that others may also fear. We see that in 1 Timothy chapter 5. The Judaizers needed to be rebuked for their corruption of the gospel. And the Galatians needed corrections for their falling away from the truth. That was the purpose of this letter. We must be sure that we don't fall into either one of these categories. We do not want to be one who corrupts the gospel of Christ. We do not want to teach or to preach things that are in opposition to what the New Testament tells us because not only do we lose our souls for doing that, we take others with us when we do that. We want to make sure that we don't fall away from the truth. There are many who attend services regularly and learn of the word, but through the years they begin to fall away and they drift away. And eventually they stop coming, and they stop studying, and they stop learning, and they're lost. We don't want to be that group of people either. We must reflect on our lives each day to ensure that we're following Christ the best that we can. Many today seem to think that they're not required to follow the teachings of the New Testament, or that others are exempt for certain instructions because they're friends or family members. 
but must understand that all will be accountable to God. There are no exceptions. We have to train ourselves to follow what the scriptures teach us and tell us. We have to train our children to follow what the teachers of the Bible tell us. Just because they're our children does not make them exempt from what the Bible says. And unfortunately, we see that a lot today with people. Parents are so involved in children and they're involved in the love of their children, which is a good thing. But we can't take that to the point where we forget discipline and training. We can actually love our children to the point that they're eternally lost. If we don't train them and we don't correct them the way they should be. We have to watch out for ourselves and for others. We have to remember that we're also responsible to correct others when it's required. We don't like to do that. We don't like to speak up. We don't like to stand out. That's human nature. And sometimes we have to. If we go back to the book of Ezekiel, we looked at before in numerous lessons. In Ezekiel 3, 17 through 21, it says, Son of man, I made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say unto the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak, warn, or <clears throat> nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity. And the next statement, but his blood I will require at your hand. If we see people in religious error and we do not speak up and we do not try to help and we do not try to train, that goes on our record just like it goes on theirs. It's a requirement in the scriptures. It's a commandment. When we do not speak up, we let sin grow and that sin will cause those we love to lose their soul eternally. There are people who are not going to follow the gospel. We'll see that shortly when we talk about it. <clears throat> Even though they know what the truth is, there are some people that are not going to follow. Some of those may be friends of ours. Some of those may be family members of ours. But if that happens and they do wind up being lost eternally, we don't want it on our conscience that we could have talked to them, but we didn't. We want to at least try. It proves that the, the preaching and teaching of the truth may make enemies. Many examples are in the scriptures. We see Moses and Pharaoh, Elijah, Jezebel, John the Baptist and Herod. Christ and the apostles, of course, were hated for their teachings. And Christ told the apostles in Matthew 10 that they'd be hated of all men because of what they were going to teach. Many today dislike Christians because the gospel brings their sins to light. Many do things in the dark. They don't want people to know about it. They don't want to know that it's wrong. They enjoy their life the way it is. They don't want things to change. They develop many excuses to persecute Christians, but in reality they are not honest enough to admit the real reason 
which is that they stand in opposition to Christ and his teachings. They don't like the fact that you bring it up, the fact that you speak about the gospel, because they don't like the gospel. They themselves fulfill the prophecy that was made in Isaiah. We'll look at Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 10. It says, Do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. They want us to leave the way. They want us to turn aside from the gospel. They want us to be like them. Unfortunately, being like them means to be lost eternally. When we speak to other people, when we try to correct other people, we do and we should do that out of love for them and their souls. We hear this case today in the news and everything else. There's big discussions on still homosexuality, especially this month. We see it. If you state anything against homosexuality, then the first word out of the mouth is going to be homophobic. You hate us. No, we don't speak to you because we hate you. If we hated you, we would be silent and watch you lost eternally. That's hate. But to speak to you to try to tell you what you're doing is wrong and that you can correct it and that you can be saved eternally, that's love. That's not hate. They misunderstand. Many of these people agree with most of the Bible principles, kindness, benevolence, good stewardship, but they want to go their own way. They don't want to be told that there are limits to their behavior. They don't want to hear things about the sins of abortion and immorality. But these have been set by God. We don't have a choice. These are the real reasons that so many there are so many denom denominations in the world. Most religious groups follow the basic concepts of the scripture but want to change different things to fit their own ideals. Men want to be religious, but they want to do it in their own way, not in the way of creator. The Bible does give us some leeway in some things, but there are also certain commandments that are given. They're either directly commanded, or we have an example of a command that we should follow. Or we have enough information that tells us that we can infer that command. Those are the things that we are required to follow. We cannot change those. The Bible tells us that the prophecy is not open to a private interpretation. I cannot go my own way. And you go your own way. And both of us be correct. The interpretation of the scriptures is what God tells us it should be. Not what we tell God it should be. When we look at a lot of the denominations in the world these days, they differ very slightly in their teachings. A lot of them teach the same thing. A lot of them teach what the Bible says. There are slight differences between them. So why do these many denominations exist? 
because of different preferences, different ideals of men, not of God. If we all follow the scriptures and only the scriptures, then we would all teach exactly the same thing. If we all taught exactly the same thing, then there would only be one church, right? Logical conclusion. Um, we also have the fact that many fight, for the, fight the truth for at least two major reasons, he points out. Some have been unconscious enemies of the truth. They fight it ignorantly, although that's not an excuse. Many have been taught wrong from birth and do not know any better. We can see that in the world. If we take it to the extreme, we can go and see around the world the number of different religions that are not Christianity. Those people were brought up in those religions. They were taught that those religions were correct. That's all that they know. They're ignorant of the scriptures. Not purposely, but they've never been taught. They don't know any better. Some remain blind to the truth by choice because they do not love the truth. When we look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 10 through 12, those who are perishing because they refuse to believe the truth and so be saved, therefore God sends, them, sends among them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And then the other case of those who do it intentionally. John 3, verse 19 says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Many love to practice the truth, and unfortunately many love to practice the truth, and they try to disguise it. As they, as they do not practice the truth and try to disguise it as truth when they do. <coughs> I'm sorry. It confirms that the truth must be preached at the expense of making enemies. A compromising attitude toward teaching leads to apostasy. When we look at 2 Timothy, chapter 4, tells us, For the time is coming when the people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So let's look at what he talks about in this verse. Break the verse down. They will not endure sound doctrine. So that tells us that there is sound doctrine out there. It is available to us. All we have to do is go to the scriptures and find it. God has set that there for us. But their attitude is that they will not endure it. They will not listen to it. Then accumulate or heap to themselves teachers. A segregation of teachers separate from true teachers. They're going to set up teachers that are not teaching what is true, but they will set up teachers that will teach them what they want to hear. Talks about itching ears. They'll turn away their ears from the truth. They will refuse to hear or follow what's true, even though they may be taught, even though some of them can see it in the scriptures themselves. They still will not follow it. They will wander off into myths, falsehood, or other religions. It all begins with a change in attitude. 
we go back, we talk about it many times, and how you felt when you were first converted to Christ. When you were first saved, how did you feel? What was your attitude? Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, good. The Bible we just looked at tells us that we can fall away from Christ. That's in the scriptures we just read. God does not leave us. And no one can make us leave God. But we can leave ourselves. When our attitude changes, and the scriptures and church and the teachings of Christ are not quite as important to us as they were when we first became Christians. That's the start of the slide. When we get to the point where we involve ourselves in what we consider small sins, when we stop coming to services on Wednesday night and we stop coming on Sunday night, then we stop coming at all. But yet it's surprising how many people will still retain the idea that they're Christian. They will still claim that they're members of that church. But we know the acts of worship. If I never come to the church and I never sing with the congregation, if I never listen to the preaching and the teaching that's going on in the church, if I don't fellowship or pray with the saints, if I don't take part in the communion with the Lord, if I don't give of my means to the Lord as commanded, what amount of Christianity am I preaching? What am I living? If I don't involve myself in anything that the Lord commands me to do, what kind of Christian am I? Paul defines it for us, right? Paul says you've fallen away. We all have friends or family members who never know the truth or once, who, who once knew it turned from it. When we ignore their errors, we encourage them to continue in their sin. It's easy to do this. We don't want to confront people. We don't want to confront those that we love. We don't want them angry at us. We're trying to correct them. But for every day that we don't say something to them, we encourage them to continue to live in a sinful life. So that's when we come to the decision we've talked about before. Will we speak to them about their condition or will we stand idly by and watch them be lost for all eternity? There's only two choices. We either talk to them or we don't. If we don't, then we know there's no chance that they're going to come back. And if we don't, we have to live through eternity, knowing that we might have made a difference if we had just spoken up. We've got to teach the gospel and not ever offend anybody. Every commandment in the scripture is going to offend somebody. There's no way around it. Everyone out there is going to be offended by something that the gospel preaches. 
the author mentions a couple of stories in the back of the lesson. He talks about uh, a preacher talking about preachers. He says, um, one of the members of the congregation he talked to, he said, the, the trouble here is that we've got a preacher who's a professional ball player. He winds up on Sunday morning and he throws a curve around everybody in the building. The other was one preacher said never to, he's said to never preach on heaven or hell because he's, they think he has friends in both places. We have to teach what's right. If we don't teach what's right, we lose our souls. And that's what a lot of people don't understand in the world today when we get into these things like abortion and we get into things like homosexuality and we stand against it. They don't understand because they haven't studied the scriptures. We look at the first chapter of Romans and it talks about sin and stuff in that chapter. And when it gets down to the bottom of that chapter in the last verse, it tells us that if we give our approval to that sin... We're just as guilty as the one who's committing that sin. So you may not be involved in the sin of homosexuality, but if you give your approval to that sin and encourage that sin, you too will be lost. And Christians, it's our job to try to keep people from going to hell. That's what we're here for. If we encourage someone to live in sin, we're encouraging them to be lost. We're not practicing Christianity. We're doing exactly the opposite. We're doing the devil's work because we're encouraging that person to be lost. We have to encourage those people to repent of those sins. It's not just that. that. That's the major one we see these days in the news. But what is perplexing to me is in this day and age, what we see is we see homosexual couples endorsing in favor of being married, but we see so many heterosexual couples now who just live together and avoid marriage. Nothing could be more opposite of what the Bible teaches, can it? But that's the society we live in today. We have to remember in this about offending people that eight of the ten commandments were negative. Telling you cannot do this. You cannot do that. We can practice an attitude to please the people rather than save the people. We cannot lower the standards of God to try and to get people to obey. If we're not obeying the full gospel of Christ, we're not obeying Christ. There's no part way here. I can't accept some things in the New Testament and not others. That's not how it works.
Yes, true. It's very true. Um, we cannot lower the standards of God to try to get people to obey. We, we can see how well that works by looking out across the religious world today. We have a number of religious groups out in the world today who've, who've taught the fact that you don't have to do anything at all but believe. That's all you have to do. And now they're surprised that the, their old members are no longer attending services. Well, have you spent the last 50 years telling them they didn't have to? And now they realize that. Yes. Demons believe, but they're still lost. A right? um, couple more points here, and then I'll wrap it up. Um, we look at Galatians one. In verse 10 says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. We cannot please man and please God. A lot of the religious world today seeks to not interfere with people's worldly lives. It's kind of a race to the bottom to see who can make Christianity the easiest. We need to understand that we all sin. We all fall short. The Bible tells us that. If we are a member of a religious group where we never have to change anything in our life, then we can be sure we're not in the right one. Because if we all sin, and the Bible says we do, there's going to be something we're going to have to change. We need to remember this when we plan our church activities here. Our direction from the Father is to educate the world. Many religious groups have lost sight of that day, and we don't want to be one of those. It does no good to get crowds in our door if we fail to teach them what they need to know to be saved. If we do that, if we don't teach the full gospel, we're just wasting our time and their time. So, all right, thank you very much for your attention.